Hey, it's Andy from Talking to Teens. It would mean the world to us if you could leave us a five-star review. Reviews on Apple and Spotify help other parents find the show, and that helps us keep the lights on. Thanks for being a listener, and here's the show. You're listening to Talking to Teens, where we speak with leading experts from a variety of disciplines about the art and science of parenting teenagers. I'm your host, Andy Earle. We're here today with Dr. R. Douglas Fields, who is a neuroscientist and international author. His research has been featured in National Geographic, ABC News, Nightline, and NPR Morning Edition, among many others. Today, we are going to be talking about two of Dr. Fields' books. First, we're going to discuss some topics from his book, Why We Snap, Understanding the Rage Circuit in Your Brain. In this book, Dr. Fields identifies the nine triggers that cause people to lose it and snap at each other. And we're going to talk about how that applies to teenagers, why teenagers sometimes lose it and snap, and also how it applies in family settings with parents. We're going to look at the neuroscience behind the rage system, why it sometimes goes haywire, and what we can do about it. Then we're going to discuss some topics from his new book, Electric Brain, how the new science of brainwaves reads minds, tells us how we learn, and helps us change for the better. Really looking forward to discussing some fascinating research with some extraordinary implications for parents and teenagers. Dr. Fields, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show today. Dr. Fields, really excited to dive into some of your research. I've read a couple of your books. One is called The Electric Brain, and also this book, Why We Snap. You do a lot of research on really detailed and specific processes that occur within the brain. How do you describe your work to normal human beings? <laughs> right, Andy. Hey, thanks for having me on your program. Yes, I'm uh, sort of a nuts and bolts neuroscientist. So I'm interested in at a molecular and a cellular level, you know, how the brain does all the amazing things that it does. So I'm not a person who is involved in clinical medicine or treatment, although all my work, I feel, you know, provides the basis for that. So I'm a basic neuroscientist. And my focus of my research is on uh, plasticity of the brain, neuroplasticity, the mechanisms of learning and nervous system development, but in particular, how our experiences affect development of the brain. And, uh, you know, everyone's brain's different. And big part of that is because the brain wires up according to our experiences in early life. So I want to understand how that works at a molecular cellular level inside the brain. So this book, Why We Snap, is about what triggers us to lose it sometimes in anger and kind of go off. And that can lead to violence a lot of times. You have written that this book was inspired by an event that occurred to you in Barcelona. Yeah. Well, I was uh, giving a talk on my research at a neuroscience meeting in Barcelona. 
And uh, usually I travel alone, but this time I was going with my 17-year-old daughter who just graduated from high school. And we had a little bit of time before going to my lecture. So we thought, oh, we'll go see the Gaudi Cathedral, right? Yeah. Barcelona. So um, we're coming up out of the Barcelona uh, subway system. And suddenly I felt this tap above my knee. I was wearing cargo pants and that's where I keep my wallet. So I slapped this pocket above my knee and felt my wallet was gone. I instantly reached back with my left hand and grabbed the robber by the neck and the crook of my arm, flipped him over <laughs> my <laughs> hip onto the ground and jumped on his back and put him in a chokehold. And then this thought comes up to my cerebral cortex. What are you doing? How did I get here? And, you know, I'm committed now because, look, I'm on the ground with the robber. Yeah, we're doing this. <laughs> yeah, we're doing this. I need to also say, yeah, I'm not Matt Damon. Um, I'm, you know, I have gray hair. <laughs> Why are we in glasses? I wear weigh 135 pounds. I don't have any martial arts training. I don't have any military experience. I don't never had a street fight. That kind of thing. But something here in my environment instantly triggered me to engage in this very complicated, aggressive response, risking my life and limb. And there was no conscious thought. So I, I had this, this guy, um, you know, he's young and uh, a thug and I got him in this chokehold uh, and I'm yelling, call the police, call the police. I got him, you know, and um, there's no response. There's no cries from the crowd. And I look up from my perspective on the ground and all I see are a circle of men's feet around me. And then I realized mm. that this was a gang and so, so uh, I'm committed. Yeah. So um, I, you know, I struggled with this guy and then he, his uh, fanny pack came up around his neck. That's where they put their wallets and I'm sure weapons, knives and things. And he tossed his wallet out to his accomplice. That's the first time I saw my wallet. Okay, you got to understand, I grabbed, I grabbed this guy and I didn't see him. So it's not only why we snap, but how do you snap? How did my brain understand you know, yep. to grab this guy and That's I didn't even see him. How does, how does that work? Yeah. Yep. And then, uh, so he tosses my wallet and then I see this woman's hand leaping through the air. And it was my daughter who was <laughs> captain of the ultimate Frisbee team. And she did a full on layout down the concrete and tipped the wallet back into my hand. <laughs> so I got my wallet. Then I, uh, I jumped the, the balls of my feet, let this guy go. And now I'm dealing with, you know, like eight other guys. I just got to run away from the right entire there. gang. <laughs> Except I was ready to pick up the leader over my head and throw him in the others like, like bowling. Yeah. And I could have done it. I've never felt so much energy with adrenaline. But I realized, you know, maybe that's not the right thing. Anyway, uh, what happened is a, a well-dressed elderly Spaniard just walked between me and this guy on his way into the metro. And he said, he no crazy. Go now. And that kind of broke the ice. And all these hoodlums just vanished, you know, like rats down a sewer, wow. leaving my daughter and I just standing there. But just to end this, they then traced it, chased us through Barcelona for the next two hours. And then it was like a scene out of a, out of a, a spy movie running down back alleys in the fronts of restaurants out the back. It was crazy. <laughs> anyway. And you say you're not Matt Damon. And I'm not. So that's the question. First of all, if something in your environment can trigger this aggressive response. Yeah. Risking your life and limb with no conscious thought. Hey, I want to know how that works. That's kind of important. Yeah. 
And so that's what led me into the search to figure out at a neuroscience level what's involved. Now I realize that this is a snapping response. It's the same thing as when you know somebody wraps a golf club around a tree when they miss a shot. You know, right. <laughs> why, why do that? You don't consciously do that. So that's what led me to this research. And it's different from a lot of the research in the past because it's a neuroscience perspective. It's not a psychological perspective, uh, which there's a, there's a huge literature on that in aggression. But the thing that's happening now is neuroscientists have new techniques. We can go inside the brain non-invasively in humans and with new techniques in animals and identify the circuits that get activated when an aggressive response happens. So, you know, aggression is a behavior like any other behavior. It's controlled by the brain. And in this book, I describe the circuits that control this behavior. And, and the bottom line, the take home message here is that we're all wired for violence. We have this capability for violence because we need it. Uh, we have the same brain we had 100,000 years ago, but we don't live you know, in that environment anymore. The neurons that control violence are in a part of the brain called the hypothalamic attack area. And this is a part of the brain deep below consciousness. It's the same part of the brain that controls uh, hunger and thirst and sexual behavior. And if you stimulate the neurons, put an electrode in and stimulate the neurons in the hypothalamic attack region of an animal's brain, the animal will launch into an aggressive response and kill another animal in this cage. The same circuitry exists in humans. There have been brain stimulations in humans that elicit aggressive behavior. So that's what's different. So then the question is, hey, what feeds into this attack region of the brain to trigger us? How does it get triggered? Yeah. Exactly. I think probably all parents with a teenager around can relate to the urge to wring someone's neck or launch into a violent attack every now and then. And you point out in here that parents often receive a lot of really helpful advice from advice givers, like understand what is causing the underlying stress, try to understand that the ch at the child's current age, he or she has limited ability to cope with life, always reprimand your child in private, do not use your child as a target when you're frustrated at work, take a deep breath and count to 10. But as you point out, a lot of these suggestions aren't really that helpful when you're actually in the moment of snapping at your kid. Right. You know, tell somebody to calm down when they're angry. It doesn't work. It actually makes it worse usually. So that's what's new here is uh, understanding is the first necessary step to controlling anything. So we understand that we have this wire, hardwired aggression circuitry in our brain because we need it. We need it to defend ourselves and our family. As a species, we're carnivores. So we have this mm -hmm. ability for aggression. Um, but what you need to understand is how this circuitry works and how it misfires. Because, you know, when it works, we call it heroism you know, right. or quick thinking, right? Um, it's only when the outcome is bad that you call it snapping. I think very helpful information for teens and for anybody, but especially teens, is understanding why. Why you suddenly feel this welling up of rage inside 
road rage is a great example. You're driving down the road and suddenly you're, you're yeah. you know, people will get into, you know, deadly hostile interactions. So why does that happen? And although it seems that almost anything in our environment can set off an aggressive, angry response, because we read about this every day in the papers and then we see it in our life, that's not true. And when you think about it, this behavior, engaging in aggression is extremely dangerous. Uh, you're risking your life, your survival, you're risking injury. And so the brain highly controls this behavior. And there are only nine triggers, nine types of incidents that will provoke this circuitry. That's yeah. how highly regulated it is. So what? let me step back a little bit and say what we're talking about with this unconscious part of the brain is the brain's threat detection mechanism. You know, we're kind of not aware of it, how important that is, but huge part of our brain is devoted to threat detection. If you can see it in animals. I mean, you know, it's survival of the fittest. Well, homo sapiens had to deal with survival of the fittest in the natural world. This is all done unconsciously. So all of our sensory information comes into the brain. We can only hold a tiny amount in our conscious brain. You can only remember seven digits. Right. <laughs> Consciousness is way too slow to respond to a sudden threat. So our brain and the brains of animals has developed high-speed pathways that takes information from all our senses and our internal body state and constantly crunches this data and looks for threats. And once it detects a threat, it, it sets us on a definitive course of action, all unconsciously because consciousness is too slow. So my example in Barcelona, we're coming up out of the subway, chatting with my daughter, trying to figure out where we are. Spanish is not our native language. And, you know, just having a nice time. But my threat detection circuitry, constantly looking out for danger, must have picked up the sky, triggering this response. So I think that for teens to understand why you're suddenly angry is the key to controlling this aggression. Because you don't want to control it if you need it. You know, there's a reason we have it. Right. You want to prevent misfires. So that's why I came up with this mnemonic uh, which I call life more. So I'm going to talk about it more, but these are the nine circuits, nine triggers for aggression. And the reason I created this mnemonic is you're suddenly feeling anger. You know, you're on, you're, you're suddenly disrespected on Facebook and you're welling up with anger. So the question is, okay, which of these neural circuits cause that anger instantly, which are these triggers? And then if you can identify which one that is, which is a fun game, actually, if it's a misfire, the anger goes away. To give you an example, if you're in a crowd, somebody bumps into you, you clench up, you turn, you're ready to fight, right? That's an automatic defensive behavior. It's the L in the life morts trigger, which is life or limb. You, if you're th physically threatened, you will fight back and the animal will. But if that person who bumps you says, oh, excuse me, the anger goes away because your unconscious threat detection said, whoa, danger put you on the alert, ready to fight, but you have this control, which is from part of the brain called the prefrontal cortex that goes, okay, thank you, but that's a false alarm. Right. And the only way this circuitry can communicate these threats to you is through emotion. It doesn't have language. You know, animals don't have language. Right. They, they carry out all their behaviors without language. So it's not conscious, but we have these multicolored emotions, you know, jealousy, fear. Each of those in a very specific way informs our conscious mind of what is this threat you've just encountered. When you're telling a, a teen, you know, 
don't don't get angry when somebody uh, disrespects you on Facebook. You're calling on a part of the brain that isn't developed. It'd be better to say, well, of course you're angry when someone disrespects. Here's why. This was the circuit that's tripped. You can see why this is the vital that you have this aggressive response in the right circumstance, but is being disrespected on Facebook a case where you want to get into a violent interaction or, right. or commit violence against yourself, self-harm type thing. That's, that's why it's so important for teens to understand is that um, this inhibitory control from the prefrontal cortex is not fully developed until your early 20s. Now, it's an interesting question. Well, why do we have this control from the prefrontal cortex not developed? You know, why, why are teens loose cannons? Yeah, they just programmed to be impulsive and right. um, and why? snap at everybody. And we know that. Look, we don't hold minors criminally responsible, right? right. So we understand, we understand it. Now, the reason is, is that our brain cheats evolution and develops according to the environment that we're raised in. Mm. So... If you're raised in a hostile environment, an inner city area, you know, or something like that, um, the control on this aggressive circuitry is different yeah, from if you're in right. another, right? You, know, you live in a hostile environment. Um, you're going to be victimized if you don't have a, you know, a defensive response, right? You so you can see. Wound a little tighter kind of to yeah, survive. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that. That is the 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 reason that it doesn't develop in, in fully until the early twenties, and you know I think that's really interesting biology. So again, it's not a failure. It's not that the teen right. brain is you know not not functioning right. It's doing what it should do. I like to say by the time you're you're twenty, your brain is formed finally, and it will be ideally suited for whatever it is you did with it while you were a teenager. Because after that, development and wiring of the brain really slows down. Yeah. And you know that, you know, you know, somebody who wants to be a, a you know, uh, I guess I could learn to play the violin, right? But I'm not going to be first chair. Right. <laughs> but you can put a violin in, in, in a teenage girl's hands and four mm. years later, she can be in an orchestra. Yeah. So that's, that, that's in the environment regulating and making this person's brain ideally suited to the environment that it's in. And then back to the subject, a big part of, you know, survival is the need to deal with threats and aggression. And you also write in this book that, you know, it's not just environment. There are certain genes that can cause us to be more tightly wound or less tightly wound. There's the catechol O-methyltransferase gene, which codes for this protein that kind of shuttles serotonin out of your synapses, I guess. And it's been nicknamed the warrior gene because <laughs> uh, if you have a certain variant of it, then you're, I guess, more likely to snap at people or to um, have a hard time controlling your anger. Right. Yeah, we know this. The people vary widely on this aggression scale from, sure. you know, impulsive and, and aggressive to being very meek. And it's such a fascinating question. When you think about it, if we're encountered with a sudden threat, the right response is not always clear, right? The right response in some situation may be to be the Marine and charge after the, uh, the threat and take it out. Uh, right. But in another case, that may be a fatal mistake. 
the right response may be to freeze or to flee. So we're all wired a little differently so that as a group, we're protected by somebody having the right response. That's one interesting thing. But in terms of uh, what controls the propensity to impulsive aggression and aggression in general is involving the circuitry of this, uh, uh, of this threat detection mechanism and the control from the prefrontal cortex. And there are four main things that control that. Genes, our experience, factors that impair that circuitry, like injury, disease, drugs, right? We know alcohol makes you right. impulsive. Yeah. Um, and the most important factor of all in aggression, more important than anything else, is gender. Uh, 95% of all prisoners in jail for violent crimes are male. That is something I would like teens to understand and I think should be taught in schools that um, again, we're talking here about basic brain biology. We are mammals and mammals that are social like we are use aggression for many purposes and aggression is more predominant in males right throughout throughout mammals throughout most vertebrates because of our evolutionary pressures that selected males for competing for mates for uh, you know for uh, defense and, and and these sorts of activities that you know they don't fit in the modern world in terms of general gender roles but we have this legacy of our biology males are aggressive right you know I think it's important for boys to understand that. And it's also important to understand that the circuitry of aggression is different in male and female brains because males and females face different kinds of threats, right? You and I can go out downtown, you know, after dark and not be worried about getting sexually assaulted, right? It's not in the forefront of our mind. The sad fact is there's no female who can't have that threat somewhere in the back of her mind. Yeah. So the brains of males and females through the course of evolution are wired differently to deal with the threats that they are going to encounter. And it's also true that, you know, to engage in a physical aggressive battle with somebody who weighs a hundred pounds more than you right. <laughs> doesn't make any sense. Right. Yeah. So females tend not to engage in aggression because that's stupid. Um, you know, and so females engage in indirect aggression and different ganging up, gossip, poisoning, you know, <laughs> and so I think that's very, very interesting aspect to understand. And as we go through the triggers, some of them are clearly related to gender differences. Well, so what would you say to a parent who has a teenager who seems to have that warrior gene um, that is really prone to aggressive behavior and um, snapping. Well, I think it'd be important to recognize that circuitry. And as I said, you don't know in any given situation what the right response is, but if you are predisposed to be aggressive, then your response to respond aggressively is likely to be when you fail. So you're likely to fail by being too aggressive. And so it was, it, whereas somebody else is very meek, which can be just as dangerous yeah. um, to be victimized, that you are more likely to suffer from being too passive. 
so then the first thing is to, again, to understand these life morts triggers so that you can quickly understand why you feel a sudden rise of anger, because that emotion serves one purpose, to prepare you to fight. So yeah. why do you feel this? And then with that knowledge of understanding, you can quickly say, don't want to get into a physical battle with this person. Then if you are uh, the more aggressive type, you're likely to say, well, no matter what, I need to be extra careful because my yeah. tendency is to overreact. So the one other thing I would say that's very important in this whole thing is understanding what these triggers are, but also realizing that um, the threshold for pulling these triggers are very much affected by circumstances, primarily stress. And it makes sense if you're under high, what is stress? Stress is your body taking in information from the inside, outside and saying, you're in threat, yeah. some sort of threat. And uh, you may not be able to know exactly what it is, but we know what stress feels like. When you're in threat, you lower the threshold for, for your uh, threat detection mechanism, same way as you go on high alert in the military with a threat right. or you know, but a burglar alarm or, or a threat detection response is more likely to misfire in that situation. So one way to control things is to understand how chronic stress affects the circuitry. Hmm. You know, there are all kinds of very helpful uh, uh, stress reduction techniques, which I, uh, I endorse, but many times the causes of stress are beyond our control and you can't, you know, a death in the family or you know, we're under a lot of stress now with COVID restrictions right. and you can't control them better to understand. Well, in this situation, I am more likely to have a misfire of one of these nine life more triggers. You write on page 341 that chronic stress literally rewires the rage circuits in your brain, setting the snap response on edge. Right. So that's, that's what we touched on before, that uh, if you're in a stressful environment, it will tend to lower the, the threshold for um, pulling these triggers. And this reminds me to say, which I always very often forget, that was the second time we were robbed in Barcelona on this trip. Uh... And I don't reveal that till the end of the book. So people re read this and they think I'm some sort of wow, maniac. This guy know? is like <laughs> snapping at a pin drop. Oh, place. Right. Don't brush into his leg in the wrong way. Right. He's going to choke right. hold you. And, and then when people understand that actually that was our second robbery and the third robbery attempt in the same trip. Wow. Uh, and that I did get robbed in Paris just two days before this. Uh, so now I think you understand what happened. Talk about rewiring. My brain was, had learned from being robbed in Paris. And that's the brain's threat detection mechanism and part of the brain involved in the amygdala, the amygdala learned, and that wasn't gonna happen again. Yeah. And my amygdala did not talk to my cortex about this. <laughs> It's really interesting. You know, I talked to a lot of people, interview fascinating people like Secret Service agents and SEAL Team 6 members. And, you know, yeah. they have to control all of this. Uh, but they also realize that they depend on this, this circuitry in order to have this gut response because you can't consciously, you know, take in all of this information. So it's, right. it's very interesting to understand how stress affects uh, all of this working on an unconscious level.
you also write on page 186 about a psychological phenomenon called regulatory depletion, which means that self-restraint slowly drains away. So that you say actually right here, the dorsolateral prefrontal cortex became less active during the second test of self-control in this study compared to the first attempt because their resistance to temptation waned. Well, that's getting in kind of the, the details uh, of the circuitry. And yeah, the book maybe gets a, a little deep for some people. Yeah. Uh, you, you know, the references are all there to the scientific literature and uh, for those who want to know. But this is getting into using new techniques like optogenetics, functional brain imaging, EEG analysis to understand how the stress affects the aggressive response and, and how it's regulated. And, and if you're repeatedly exposed to a, to a threatening situation, you know, we know that our anxiety drops. Okay, I'm a rock climber, mountain climber and rock climber. And, you know, after a while, when you're up there, you know, a thousand feet of air underneath your feet, um, you start to, you start to sometimes get shaky knees, we call it sewing machine knee. Um, You know, your body says, you're gonna die. And (laughs) so adrenaline hits the system, prepares you to fight and everything. But after a while, it goes away. And then you see, you know, rock climbers just walking around on like, you know, dime edge things as though they're on the sidewalk in the city because they've habituated to that. Yeah. That's when things get dangerous, you know, that, and we're very careful of that. That's why you hear about uh, most climbing accidents happen on the way down. There are various reasons for that. But one reason is the repeated exposure to this threat where you didn't suffer mm. kind of dampens that threat. You're less vigilant. Yeah. Um, you know, and that's used therapeutically for people with PTSD, uh, maybe had an IED bombing in a Jeep in Afghanistan. They come back and they can't ride in a car without having a full-blown anxiety attack, just like when they experience the real bombing. One of the treatments for that, this therapist will have them re-experience that, you know, drive around and mm. not have a, a, a bad outcome. And if you do that enough, that will rewire from the prefrontal cortex to the amygdala to be able to say, this is not the same situation. This is not an acute threat. Then it makes sense. I mean, uh, the brain is plastic. It has to adapt to the environment. So that's part of the, part of the process. Well, so it strikes me that this is sort of um, neurological evidence that if you're spending all day having impulses to snap at your boss and having to restrain yourself or your kid is being you know um, having impulses during school to snap at their friends and teacher and they're having to restrain those impulses then it gives you this state puts you in the state of depletion where that evening you are more likely to get in a fight with your kid or um you know just lose it over something small that you wouldn't necessarily have um, on a a different day. So I wonder what should we do about that? Or um, is there anything? Well, in my book, I also interviewed a number of people, uh, types of people who are nonviolent. A good example are the Jains. This this Indian religion. They're completely nonviolent. Okay. These are the religious sect that they sweep the path in front of them as they walk so they don't step on ants they believe in reincarnation so you know they respect all life they won't eat root crops they're strictly vegetarian but eating a root crop kills the plant they are strictly nonviolent. so i interviewed them and also quakers to understand well 
how how do they do this and and the way they do it is their society in a nutshell is structured to avoid all of these nine triggers all of these life morts triggers that's the main thing secondly you know it is experience the children are raised in this environment they they see their dad you know in a road rage incident doesn't react the way that you know maybe an, another dad would yeah, <laughs> it wasn't a dream right. it wasn't constantly trying to to do this and also they're kind of a isolated sect so i think genes are part of it as well but the main message here is that they structure their life to eliminate uh to the extent possible that these nine life force triggers mm. but there's also a downside to that andy i mean they are completely nonviolent, and I really admire and respect them, but they would not defend their family if there was an intruder come into the house. Right. And it's because of this higher, deep religious belief they have that, you know, getting to nirvana involves separating your, yourself from these earthly desires. Many of us just couldn't live with that kind of injustice of uh, allowing our children or spouses or friends to suffer, you know, an attack without coming to their aid. So it's kind of, you know, it illuminates how this response is a double-edged sword. Right. Yeah. There's, we all have to find where we put that line or how we calibrate it, but it, it's got to go somewhere. It seems like at some point, you're going to have the snap. Yep. We're here with Dr. R. Douglas Fields talking about his research on the rage system in the human brain and why we snap. And we're not done yet. We're also going to get into his new book, The Electric Brain, and learn about the science of brainwaves and what it means for parents and teenagers. Stay tuned. Here's a look at what's coming up in the second half of the show. Teenagers, as they grow up, they have to leave home, start their own life. That means they've got to assert their individuality and the responsibility. And to leave home, your parents, your house, is probably the hardest thing you do in life. And so one of the ways that this manifests is to kind of get into this tussle with your parents. So when my daughter, Kelly, and I, and I left this part out of the story, but we were chased by this gang for two hours through Barcelona. We'd leave the sidewalk, run down the middle of the three-lane boulevards against traffic, trying to elude these people. It was like a spy movie. And I, you know, you're running in and out of stores, in the front, out the back, yeah. trying to elude these people. And it quickly became apparent that Kelly spotted the bad guys before I did. She was always the first to spot them. And we're here in a you know, huge crowd. Yeah. And it was so apparent that I kind of just left that to her. And so when you have, when you put these two things together, the male and female responses, you have a very powerful outcome. Mm. So here's what's going on. She's picking out all the details. She's finding these bad guys faces in the crowd. And I'm thinking the big picture things, you know, what am I going to do when I get these guys? How do you know, big strategies. Yeah, That's what I'm thinking. Right. She's get she's down in the weeds. And again, together is a great, uh, combination. Now, he doesn't know why this happens, but here's something he suggests could be. Want to hear the full interview? 
Sign up for a subscription today. You get unlimited access to all the interviews I've conducted. It's completely affordable, and your subscription helps support the work we do here at Talking to Teens. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next time.